Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. That was a good prayer, Rob. There, no, I was thinking the same thing. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I liked it. I'm honored. Anything in particular about it? I just felt authentic and like you were praying from the heart. Mm. That's where I live, baby. Yeah, man, living the heart. Praying from the heart. You know As the kids saying. say, you love to hear it. <laughs> Is that what they say that? You love to hear it? They say you love to see it or you hate to see it. I hate to see it. It was from a few years ago. I, oh, I thought it was I really funny. I, I don't know just, that one. Somebody would somebody would kind of trip and fall or mess something up and you'd just be like, ah, oh, you hate to see it. But really you don't. Really you love it. <laughs> really you I'm love to see using it. That. I just learned recently uh bet. Yeah. I don't really oh, like bet. that one. <laughs> bet is I, it's growing. so it's, popular. It's growing on me, man. I okay. I like to I've had a couple uh little fun imaginative prayers uh of Jesus using it in the gospels. <laughs> like oh, you can't you can't feed these 5,000. Bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Right, because it means, it, it basically means like, I dare you, or like, it means challenge like accepted. You. Yeah, challenge accepted. I think it means challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I, there, that reminds me of the uh, recently graduated student showed me a TikTok of like the Bible for Gen Z, and it's just uh, narrated stories from the New Testament, like Jesus' baptism. And it's all this. Uh, lingo that i don't even know or understand but it's like <laughs> the, the only one i remember was that and then john baptized him and it hit different <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that's amazing we all do kind of work with uh with young people huh mm-hmm. we're we're out there mixing it up with the utes the utes <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that yeah <laughs> the, the utes man <laughs> That is the only the reason units. I made that observation was <laughs> to use that. Uh huh. I, I love the young people. Yeah, the it's because people. it's because we speak their language and we just get it, man. I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's why. Oh yeah, we're you know? definitely. What I'm all about is close personal accompaniment accompaniment of young people in the life of the church, meeting mm. them in their concrete lived realities. Yeah. To church them, to church them as we church. Yeah, It'd be, and I'm very passionate about this. I just want to say this: the the youth are the future. <laughs> We're building Dude. tomorrow's church today. I remember the first time that I heard the youth of the future. It's like I, I just even as a young kid thinking like, how else could it be different? It's like, <laughs> right. What else could it be? Mm-hmm. The old people aren't the future. No, it's, you can I blow your mind right now? Please. Not only are the youth our future, but they're also our present. And our okay. hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. But they are not our past. That's that's where they fall short. No, in the past they didn't exist. That's true. Yeah. That's really Dude, what if we started <laughs> what if we started a like a an, an evangelical push to really emphasize how senior citizens are our past? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say it and it's still coming up good. 
Everyone's like, oh, snap, dude. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. What is that? What is that? The elderly mean? are our past. Mm-hmm. The youth are our future. The elderly are our past. <laughs> and we're all the present. Right. All of us are, as long as you're here, I guess. That's a good point. But even the saints are our present. That's true. Yeah, but Whoa. they're pretty old as well. Where are they? Mm. Yep. Yep. So, Rob, you were reading a book? <laughs> I've read a couple books. All right. We're going to dive into this. I have not read much of this book, nor do I firmly grasp the whole idea of it. Here's my synopsis based on hunches that are not substantiated in any <laughs> any way. But I picked up the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, I wish more people would say that when I talk, like just say something <laughs> random. Cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. I had, had a cup of joe Sullivan. this morning. Sweet. Sully. <laughs> nice. Um, have, have you read it, Mets? No, but part of why I got pumped on it is that uh, uh, Father Brett Brannon, the author of To Save a Thousand Souls, and uh, your friend, been down and yeah, very dear personal friend. <laughs> It's actually kind of true. Thanks be to God. Uh, but I got to go down and do a retreat with him. And that's one of his favorite <laughs> books. He hands it out to people wow, all the really? time. Yeah, it's like that and his book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he hands out like specifically the what, seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a okay. firm believer of it. Wow. And then dude, that it's... And the, art, the art of the deal. Yeah. Yeah, that one too. <laughs> Yeah, we should do that, though. That's a great practice. Just hand out that, like, have, like, two or three books that you hand out, one being your own. In our case, maybe we could print out, like, some Word on Fire articles that we've written. Hey, here's the seven habits, and here's the Word on Fire article I wrote about confession. Yeah, I just printed it, but there you go. Uh, You're welcome. Um, So what I understand a little bit about this book, I think, is that it's not, at least in the intention, it's not supposed to be like a self-help book, nor like a driven for success type results book, but it's based, it's, it's character based. And so it's like, it's driven by the conviction of like character based leadership um and so the first rule um or no not rule habit um and i'm only like halfway through this chapter but it's so good it's just the the habit is be proactive but he starts with this um it's not a reflection but he he uses victor frankel a lot in the chapter Cool. And um, yeah, and he has this like really cool explanation of, in a sense, he describes, and he doesn't use the the wording, but he describes a human being having a rational soul. Like he he talks about how a human being can contemplate itself. And I did not know this. I think again, I think I read it right in in there. But um, he like one of the examples he uses is like you can 
Frankel could think about himself in the death camp that he was in. Mm. And so he just uses that to, to give this very basic but very good example of, of that. If we can think about ourselves as human beings, which then that sets us apart from any other living being, any, any other animal, anything um, like that. And it also gives us the capacity to take responsibility for our lives then. And so the, the portion that I read is one of his driving themes in it is that you never have to do anything. Like that's something like the, in the death camp, they could take everything from Frankel, but they could not take, um, him, they could not take away from him thinking about himself, like teaching lessons garnered from this later in life. Like there are certain things that they, they, they could not take from him. And it was all tied towards him having this capacity to contemplate himself, which then he, he goes on. He doesn't talk about Frankel, at least past that since, since I've read, but he uses another example of a kid came up to him. He must've been a teacher or something, but he, he gives this example of the kid came up to him and he was, um, he had like a tennis match. So he was going to miss his class. And he said, hey, I was hoping for an excused absence because I have to go to this tennis match. And he was just adamant. Like he he really like drilled into the kid. He was like, well, do you have to? And he he set it up. So he just kind of like works through it with this, this kid. And he gets to the point of like, no, you don't have to do that. That's a choice you're making. And yes, like it's not that big a deal to miss my class. But if you think in that framework, it's a self it's a self-defeating prophecy you're starting to put yourself in that parameter of like you have to do this or you have to do do that. And so um, I'm very intrigued by the book in general. Those are, again, that's very scattered. Um, but just a, a few things that I've been thinking on since since reading the first whatever 10 pages of it. I don't know if it spurs anything, but be proactive. He's not saying like, go do it in it. He has this kind of very um, nuanced and sophisticated uh, approach to it, which it's been pretty cool. Hmm. It sounds like a mid-century Jar- Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Uh, not- yeah. It's interesting that there's definitely, I had not thought about that. Um, but reading him reminds me of Peterson in certain ways. Like you're not the victim of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of a right because something that he would have in common. Just listening to that uh, hot take, which I love, based off of half of the chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's and even awesome, even dude. the whole idea of it being a character based book. Like I don't know that. That's mm-hmm. just a guess. Again. <laughs> There's nothing substantiated. If you were to write the book, that's how you would do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got to do a little bit of um, like (laughs) team formation stuff for a missionary work camp out. Cool. (laughs) That's dope, dude. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Swing. So we, we went out to California and I got to be like a, a, a teacher slash formator um, priest for some missionaries that were prepping to do a camp out in California. 
And I had a conversation with a guy. I remember he was very, uh, very active guy and very energetic, um, very self-confident and excited to be out there. And after maybe like four or five days after being a part of this organization that had a, a daily schedule of when you're supposed to wake up, when you're supposed to pray, eat, uh, go to sleep, uh, when you're supposed to have fraternity, when you're supposed to play outside. I mean, it was one of those like very regimented formation schedules. He was like, dude, I don't know what's going on. I like all the things that we're doing here. I, it, it, this would be like a great schedule if I made it for myself. But for some reason, like I feel like I'm just kind of floating around and like I'm not present and I it's zapping my energy and it's kind of discouraging for me. And I gave him the genius advice of I, I just did some life coaching right there. Mm, good call. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, um, it's a temptation when you get into an organizational structure that does provide good direction and good, good schedules and like a, a regimented lifestyle to, um, to kind of float along with the day to day of what you're supposed to do. But just really ask the question, like, are you choosing to be a part of these activities or are you doing it just because you feel like you have to do it? And it was just a question to have him think about. And he was like, dude, honestly, I have not actually been engaging in these things, but I've been going to the next thing because it's the next thing that I have to do. And, and it w was just simply asking that question was like, well, do you have to do it? And what does that look like? What would it look like for you to actually choose to be there? Which is interesting because like you've committed to this and in a sense you do have to be there because you've, you've already given your word to it. But in another sense, like what happens if you actually chose to exercise your agency and then to engage in the activity that has been planned for you, but that you can now choose to be a part of. And uh, thanks be to God, like he ended up having a great summer. And I think it was just a helpful way to look at it, but it was a different perspective it didn't change any of his circumstance or situation, but it was a different perspective to look about what kind of a disciplined day looked like for him. And it involved having some sort of agency in what you're doing, um, which I would say is the, also the, the same case in, in seminary. You can see guys who are choosing to engage in the formation process. We're all doing the same things, but there's a noticeable difference. And I would say like life and joy and and trust and openness and authenticity um, when people are are exercising their engage their agency within even a, a set structure of stuff um, but it sounds like that's kind of the thing that he's playing with is there are set structures but it also doesn't take away your autonomy and and your agency as an individual and so how do you engage both of them at the same time well have you read uh I have not read Man's Search. No, what is, is it? Man's Search for Meaning is that what yeah. Frankel wrote? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have not read that. Again, the very, very uneducated hot take though would be like he he was able to remain a person like with autonomy in even in that like worst of places. Is that is that right? Yeah, and and like yeah. you said, and and summarize in that first half of the chapter is that. He, he, as a clinical professional, he studied himself mm -hmm. as, as both the, 
the subject of the study, but also the mm. one who is conducting the study, Oof. which I think that's kind of the point is like no other creature can be both the subject and the outside observer right. of, right. of the exercise. Yeah. But, but Fr Frankel is huge on it. I've even heard my dad talked about it when he went through Sears school, which is search, evasion, rescue, escape. Mm. Um, like if, if you're crashed and enemy lines and you get taken POW, um, how do you interact and how do you survive, um, as being a, a prisoner of war? And I, re I remember it really vividly and maybe I've shared it on the podcast, but they would put them, put people in cells and they would dictate everything that you have to do. And they would be in control of all the external circumstances of your life, everything, food, sleep. They would play loudspeakers with like babies crying all throughout the night, 24 yeah. seven to like make you lose your mind. And they'd bring you in and water hose you kind of torture you, investigate, interrogate you and all that different stuff. And one of the key moments he said, when they would open up your door, <clears throat> open up your cell, they would tell you, get up now. And one of like the little teeny, teeny things that they would teach is don't get up immediately, wait, and then choose to get up and then choose to actually walk with them. Hmm. Whoa. And it's so small. I'm talking about an iteration of a right. moment, but saying I am still a human, which means that I can still make a choice and I'm actually, I am going to choose to get up and to the imperceptible eye, it all looked the same. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it was essentially different. Mm. Wow, dude, that's profound. I'm thinking of, I'll keep this as anonymous as I can, it was a long time ago in a land far, far away, but um, of a couple that I was talking to where one of them was basically just trying to talk themselves out of marriage and uh the other one was in a way trying to talk the other one to stay they had kids and it was excruciating to to watch and i i felt like i was on to sort of convince this person to to stay faithful to their commitment um but it was kind of futile and i and i i felt the futility of it and i felt this compassion towards both people and especially the kids that this person just found like they couldn't feel free in it anymore. They didn't want it. And they, and they believed that they, what they were looking for, the freedom and, and the happiness that they needed was outside of this commitment. Um, and there was nothing that I could say or do or this per the other, the spouse could say or do to, to make it any different. And like from the outside looking in, I was like, this is such a blessed life you're leaving behind. Um, it's not a POW camp or a, or Auschwitz, you know, um, where even those, even in those circumstances, you can still feel free. You can still choose and, and retain your, um, uh, some kind of happiness, you know, like what I hear what you're saying with the Victor Frankl stuff is interior freedom. You know, he has, he has because he's a human person this ability to kind of observe himself and have a have a uh, sort of what would you call it like a a distance from himself in order to i think he had something that could not be taken away by somebody else yeah um 
but it's like your thing about the guy in the camp and the structured schedule um where like everything about this is uh what i would choose and it's so objectively fun and good and healthy and yet there's still something in me that just is like i suspect that i would be happier if i wasn't here and was doing something different just because i need to choose something or Mm. whatever like there's a a, there's a boredom here i don't feel totally activated as a person right uh and it's like a mystery i don't even know what what that is but that like split second on the bed in the cell there's something there that the army is teaching you to to never lose um and to me it's the it's the relational choice it's the um you know my own experience of of when I feel that like creeping gloom that just the succession of fair days, this is all there is. And even though it's nice, it's like, what the hell's the point? Um, I think we all feel that existential dread somewhere. Corbone calls it like the, at every moment man exists for death, you know, until that question has been answered, like, or that, that, darkness has been illuminated like is behind everything just death you know are we just ants in an ant farm digging to nowhere Hmm. um there there has to be some light behind there or some 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 meaning to it all otherwise i can't handle it uh and the truth is that the trinity is real is the is realness itself it's absolute you know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit just exist, period. We exist as a result of them by their will, these these three persons. Um, and they are present to us and they have us surrounded in Jesus, you know, and the Holy Spirit. Like there's just nowhere we can go, even to hell, that he hasn't come and will not come to get us. Uh, so in Auschwitz, he's there, but also in marriage, he's there and the difficult and the, the blessed, you know. But we can live as if we're in the darkness and the darkness can, in the most subtle ways we've experienced how desolation creeps in and the evil one can, can take power over our past and our future and just say, it's always been any light that you, have you remember the silver chair, C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. when they're in that underground, I think we've talked about this, that underground place. And the guy has one moment or one hour of sanity a day, but the witch has convinced him that it's one hour of insanity, which is when he realizes like, there's a whole world up there that um is brighter and and beautiful and Mm. i'm actually the king up there and uh she's like no you're not all that is just a projection what's really real is this underground darkness and this is all there is is labor and slavery um but yeah i think that that's to me that's the key is this relational choice that i am not alone it's not just on me to create the meaning of my life um this is not all there is Right. And I I think something important in the conversation is like that what what you're talking about in that book. Um who who writes that by the way? The seven ha- seven habits. Seven habits, yeah. Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. Yeah. What he what I think what he's talking about of um being it, like exercising your agency and um, being proactive m- may be one of those things that uh, 
I don't know if it itself is essential, but maybe a manifestation of an, an essential component of what it means to be human. That, that That's so important. I, I've seen people, and I'm sure you all have as well, that have been so hungry for that, that they will rebel against and react to any type of structure that is in their life that kind of normalizes the day-to-day that makes them float into a type of boredom where they don't feel like they're able to exercise the fullness of their humanity. So they say, screw all of this. I'm going to go off and start my own world, which is the the radical. Um, I, I'm radically autonomous to the point where I'm independent of, of everybody else. And I can kind of self-create myself, which may be the, the far extent of that goodness within humanity that Cubby's talking about is radical self-creation. And, but that's also not the answer. And what Jesus does is he seems to rectify and provide a, a lived reality that you don't have to rebel against everything in order to fully actualize your humanity in order to fully engage your agency. Mm-hmm. Which, which is the, the Theresian thing, the little way, is what if you maintained good structures and chose to be present to the daily moment, that that's actually the place where agency and God's divine conditioning in your life, where those two things meet, which is where Jesus is. That's like the intersection of reality. When your agency and the conditions that you've been given when you choose to engage both of them, you can't just live a structured life where you float by like a corpse, but you can't just create yourself. Maybe it would be like the two extreme spectrums. And Christ is the intersection where both of those things meet. You don't have to destroy or escape from the structure in order to be fully alive. But what if you were fully alive within a really good structure and those two things met? Um, And again, I think that's the Theresian thing. You know, a couple of her moments when, she rejects living into fantasy land. She rejects the idea of like dancing in a ball with fine dining and yeah. beautiful cutlery. Yeah, that's, and- that's what I was thinking of there because it's good what you were saying, but I think you could insert, um, I yeah, you're you're on, I think, with the word structure there, but I think you could even just say like reality in there. Like that's what's, that, that, that's the Theresian thing of like she just, she only wants reality mm-hmm. and what like, her human limits allow there. She has no problem being limited by her humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it's this. It's cool. It's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it definitely, that's all a very good discussion around it. Um, it, and not to, again, I'm like 10 pages in, um, to it but it does to have um any type of discussion around around that um i i'll, I'll be honest like in prayer it, it definitely lets some stuff come up of like hmm man i'm holding on to like some resentments to a couple people that i wasn't like really naming before and um like that's i think from a lack of freedom in in myself, but that's, um, like Mm. I've chosen that 
like mm. that that was and again it was like a very gentle place you know of um prayer wise I and mean, it was a very beautiful experience but in the um yeah i was like wow no i that's that's my choice there like to hold on to certain certain resentments and um and bitterness and i don't know i just found it cool to like put some names on on stuff and um yeah yeah it doesn't give you a power over it in like a domineering way but in a sense like i mean that's the that's relational prayer, you know, of like putting a name on something allows you to say like, Hey Lord, get down here, man. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it also means that nothing is wasted. I also get that from Therese, uh, line of hers has been sent with me a while. It's impossible for Jesus to will useless suffering. Um, that even in the moments when we can't seem to relate it, you know, like I, I think of the times in holy hour when I'm just vibing as the youth would say, uh, just re resting in reality, you know, and reality is so, so blessed and true and good and substantial and light. God is the most real thing to me, um, at least in the way that my soul is able to receive him at this level of maturity and openness that I have. And, and you kind of like experience time as Kairos, like not this um, succession of like, how am I going to fill this hour, these 60 minutes with, with meditation, but you're just <clears throat> receiving. And um, then all of a sudden you snap out of it and you start to like, get that distance from yourself and you're back in chronological time and thinking like, Oh man, there's 15 minutes left. What am I going to do? Uh, that even that 15 minutes and the suffering of, of living as if you are, are by yourself again, and it's you trying to fill 15 minutes, um, which is such a crappier place to be. <laughs> and it's so often where we are, um, that none of that is wasted either. Um, that in a way, like that guy in that camp, he can choose to be more present to reality and choose to get up and do the routine and stuff and feel more free uh, as an interior exercise. But still, I know from experience, like it'll creep back in this insecurity and shame and fear that it's all just blackness behind it. Um, and what's the point? And you need to go somewhere else or do something different or whatever. Um, and that you're going to have to, there's just going to be time when you have to, you have to just face that, you know, that's the desert to me in Exodus. It's like, there's some really uncomfortable stuff there. Um, but God is out there in the desert with you. Yeah. You know what? Um, that tension, man, I this is just kind of fun, but it popped in my head as both of you were talking as as well. Um, it's one of my favorite poems ever, but the poem "Untitled" by Megan um, mm. of "With Hell That Bring the Kids To." Oh, I love that! It's one of it's one of the best poems ever. Um, but it, it <laughs> that's apropos to, to this discussion. 
Yeah, it just like embodies that. Of I, I wish I had it. I need to have that poem memorized. Actually, uh, Dude, good, good uh, call. She's the best, by the way. Yeah, and I'm stoked that she has to give herself a shout out on yeah. the, <laughs> the cast notes. Hey, and one of the quotes needs to be "She's the best." She's no doubt <clears throat> but i don't know i just thought of that because it just the the whole whole idea of um kind of wanting to break free a little bit of it and then just the the insight or the grace or whatever like whatever word you would put on it just oh hell bring the kids too. right uh, the source of all of my fire. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so cool yeah, yeah, and I think that's the that's the ambivalence of the human condition in need of the exodus. You know, we're not at the promised land yet, but we also are there at the mass or in those moments of Kairos and prayer that we're home, but we're on our way home and we're feeling that tension still. Yeah, those are, I mean, to use the gospel today, like those are those mountaintop transfiguration mm-hmm. experiences. And uh, the desire is always to do the Peter thing. Where it's like, it's so good. We're here. Let's hang out. Let's build tents. And the Lord's like, no, it's not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. There's still more to the journey. This is a a mountaintop. This is a climax. This is a true experience with God's love. And there's more. Um, and like, that's why I think the relational prayer, like what you're saying, Connor, is so important. Because without Jesus, it's just not possible. Like, that's not real. But Christ came down and actually lived it <clears throat> and had these moments in the garden where he's like, I don't want this. I mean, th- is that not the expression of like reality is crushing me right now and I would rather be somewhere else, mm. but your will be done. Like that's reality and uh, agency meeting right there, which leads to resurrection and r- leads to salvation and love and and everything that comes along with it and 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 so like if i don't know how to do that on my own i don't even think it's possible on my own but if i'm with jesus then he can reveal how that's actually possible because other than that it's just an act of my own will which is going to be insufficient and will run out eventually um you know and i think of what it looks like as a priest is the desire to shirk off reality so that it can be what I want rather than choosing to be what I choosing to be where I've been placed and what I've been given it. it, I've noticed when I've fallen into that, that it's more like the bigger harm is that it creates a desire to process experiences more and more distanced from reality which is doubly harmful because one, I'm, I'm not actually engaging with my people as they are. I, I want them to be different. And so I, I take a step back because they're not how I want them to be. And then I'm not, and then I'm further away from reality. And so both the, the people that I'm supposed to encounter and the goodness of reality, I'm even further and further away from. And so like the attractive love and beauty of God, which is, is present in reality, I'm more and more distanced from. And so then the power of priesthood and what it looks like to actually live in love with people, which hits at that intersection of Jesus, becomes more and more distance. And then you can start to look at priesthood as an outsider. And you're like, what's so attractive about that? Hmm. Like, dude, 
we you've been living in a process of like being derelict of the vocation to engage reality for so long that you are almost viewing viewing it as an outsider um mm-hmm. and i i think that's possible in vocations and um i just finished a book anna karenina by leo tolstoy and dude guys, cool yes <laughs> must, dude dude must <laughs> read must read i'm serious must read especially run don't walk run don't walk read it tonight by um, the end of the month or death whichever comes first that's right it, connor especially for you there's a character in particular his name is levin and oh my goodness dude you guys is he redheaded he is redheaded <laughs> oh uh-huh. cool. yep <laughs> <laughs> dude he's a redhead and he desires to be close to the land and to love his workers but he is a part of like this highly stratified russian um elite class but he doesn't have the spirit of the rest of them and he's trying to learn how to engage reality and he notices that as he thinks about it more and more it becomes too vague and too disturbing that he can't find meaning in it and he begins to spiral but when he actually lives where he's supposed to live on the land that he's been given with the wife that he's been given with the peasants that he's been given, that everything fits just totally naturally and beautifully and wonderfully. But he has to choose to engage in reality. And when he gets outside of it, you know, which we, we kind of talk about quite a bit, um, he becomes lost and he's, he's paired with and paralleled with by the main character, Anna Karenina, who's married, <clears throat> spoiler alert, she, spoiler alert, <laughs> this is a little different. <laughs> she ends up having an affair, which is like, Ooh. that's like, it comes out really, really early in the story. But her reality is not satisfying her. And so she actually chooses to disengage from it and create a new reality. And you can kind of see where these two processes of how to live the trajectory and the endpoints mm. that they point towards are, are starkly different. But I think in like Tolstoy's genius, he takes those things to their edge so that you can see just how the conclusions, the logical conclusions of what those two differences mm. and decisions look like. And hers, is, it's really miserable. It's like heartbreakingly hard to read and uh, to like walk with this character in it. Um, but it's a great example of exactly what we're talking about. Those two different characters, Levin and Anna Karenina. Very different. Hmm. Hmm. Choosing reality. Do y'all know what I mean with priests? I don't know if you've experienced this, but like when... I don't know, maybe this is a conversation for off podcast, but or off. Well, I have an example. I think yeah. I, I think I understand what you're saying. We we had to take this survey for something with the diocese where they're doing some <clears throat> leadership formation, whatever, and um, some like self evaluation or just like interests and in what we're passionate about as priests. And one of the questions was like, I don't know exactly what it was, but I <laughs> I just was kind of 
like that meme with the guy with the question marks over his head. Like what? It doesn't compute my understanding of priesthood. It was like something like, you know, what kind of people would you like to do, have ministry relationships with? Or like what sort of like problems do you think you want to respond to or something like that? And it was just like predict your future or decide your future as a priest in just such a way where I'm like, I don't think I think like this, you know? Um, I, what gives me life is living with and in Christ and then responding to the reality with him that's in front of me. You know, it would just be weird for me to be like, this is how I want reality to be because it like fits my skill set. You know, Mm. Um, I think that's, that's more, that's an empty dark world for me. That's like, my own fantasy creation of like, I will be happy when everything fits how I want it. Like I get the problems I like to fix and the, the lifestyle I become accustomed to or whatever, you know, like part of what has been great about life is that it's not what I expected. Yeah. Um, and that I'm not alone. And the more I, the more I try new things and go to my areas of weakness and poverty that I would not have chosen to go because of my fear, that I find life there because the Lord is leading and he has a plan for my soul to, to become holy like him. And it's like an adventure and it's creative and it's original. Well, and, and also I, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd push even further than that. And I think this takes place in, in any type of vocational experience. Um, either marriage or priesthood or even just uh, vocation to be holy through our baptism is um, like there are people that come for mass that are parishioners here in our Catholic community um, or even like our soldiers, they come and they have like adorable families. It's like the cutest kids. They're so fun. Like I love them. They're, they're wonderful. And I, and I'll, interact with them and and love them as I'm called to. But I, there's a distance there because I'm not their mom and I'm not their dad. I'm their, I'm their priest. And in a sense, like the distinction would be like, I do love them as a priest, but, um, I don't love them like their dad. And so Mm -hmm. there's like, there's a kind of a distance where like I admire them in almost an, an unrealistic way. Cause I'm, I'm seeing them at church when they're happy and they're dressed up and they're so cute and playful and prayerful and all these like really special moments. That's not the fullness of who they are, but admiration, like, wow, I admire you. And like, mm. um, this is all really great in kind of the, the, the bright side of things is not sufficient to live a, a vocation fully. And in the same way in priesthood, it's like, if I kind of keep people at a distance, one, they'll do that to me. But two, I can look at the priesthood and be like, yeah, these are the things that I have to do. And I kind of knock them out of the park. And so like my, my priesthood is admirable. And like, I, I kind of like the things that I do. They bring me energy and life and they engage my intellect and all that different stuff. That's not sufficient. (laughs) My point is that's not sufficient to live a vocation of love. Mm-hmm. And and so you're not actually getting into love, you're staying at a, a distance of admiration, 
where things all look nice and, and good. But uh, as comforting and as attractive as that may be, it's just not sufficient. And so then the further and further you step away from it, the more uh, admirable things become, or on, I guess on the flip side, the more like cynical you can become towards it. Mm-hmm. And so you can be like, oh, look at those people. Those people are the worst. Because you're like 50 miles away from them. You're not actually with them. But the love that actually is the heart of any type of vocation, either as a mom or as a as, or mom or dad or as a priest, is like way deeper in there. When that kid who looks so beautiful and wonderful at mass, like turns into a hellion, and then you get to love him in that moment, there's something like unbelievably beautiful about that, that only mom and dad are going to be able to see. But that's going to be the only thing that moves you through the vocation of, of being a parent. Mm. And then the further and further you get away from that, the less and less you actually engage with the thing that you need to live your vocation. And so I think it's doubly dangerous, I guess, is is my point. I don't know if that clarifies that. Well, all, but. I think, yeah, I guess I would only say that, like, it seems to me like the, it's not just that maybe it's when the kid is being a hellion and the mom has to choose to love them anyway. But I think it's also part of the reason why you don't know what it is that makes being a mother or a father um, so life-giving and so unitive to, to Christ and his suffering is that you don't see it. It's hidden. Your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. It's like that, that split second um, POW decision, you know, it's like, what is it that's making me choose love here? Am I a slave to my life, a victim of my circumstance, or am I a free, um, person who's choosing love right now? And that's why I think this leading Jesus leading us to the cross is like the great mystery of our lives as disciples. Um, that Jesus walks with such freedom in his life. You know, they try to stone him and throw him off cliffs and lie about him and ensnare him and stuff. And he just can't be trapped in any trap. Um, but then he chooses in the agony. I'm, I'm going to get arrested tonight and my friends are going to betray me and I want you with me um, as you're able to be. And I know you, you'll fail and fall away, but take courage when, you know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you can, you can come with me here mm-hmm. to this place and it, you will be free. And it was actually, um, your freedom will be, will be activated here in this place of suffering, um, by entering into this death, into the chronological time. That's just, just like this oppressive thing, but it's like shot through with freedom because I'm here with you in it, you know? And, that's where I think nothing is wasted. My experience of it is like, okay, it would be nice if that would just happen right away. And then I would just experience the cross as this place of deep communion, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, it has to be suffering. <laughs> it feels like being forsaken. Um, but like all of it is, is all beautiful. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's beautiful. It's not always, it certainly doesn't feel romantic though. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure. That's what I mean. Of, That's what I mean is yeah, like, it's so yeah. easy to romanticize the other vocation. Like this is why this is love or. Exactly. Oh, oh, totally. or, and don't hear. Yeah. Cause you're not saying they're like for a mom and dad to hear like, oh, actually when your kids are insane and you're exhausted, like 
that's your moment to love them. And that's beautiful. Like, yeah. you know, so that's no, just, yeah, not but, at all. but no, it's like, I think even it's in those moments, like what's even harder than that. And I think any, any vocation will have an element of like, like an actual, um, growth, whatever it is, you know, it's like this revealing yourself in a way of like your failings and your weaknesses are going to be in full display. And, um, I think that's oftentimes like way the invitation is always there, I think to what Connor was saying, but man, like that's a harder place to sit in anyway of, um, yeah, I know I've had that of like having things happen of like, Ooh, man, I'm not equipped for this. Or like, this is not at all. Like when they said, talked about scenarios like this in seminary, like I thought I had this figured out and I don't, yeah. you know, yeah. at all. Yeah. Like that's a hard place to sit. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think about those moments as a priest when e- even here on, on post, like living a priest looks a little bit different um, than in the parish. Yeah. You, like I'll get a text from a soldier at like 16 for, at 445 and you know, the workday ends at five and you're like been going since 545 in the morning. And you're like, Oh, I want to pack it up and move it out. But like this person really just needs to talk. Like I'm not even going to say anything. They just need to, they need somebody to listen to them right now. And it's not always the case, but I've had just like a couple of moments like that. You're like, man, you know, maybe sometimes I need to get better at this, but like, Hey, let's, let's go tomorrow. Or you can kind of disengage from it and take your work cap off and go back home and, you know, have a beer and hang out. You're like, oh yeah, well, hard days work. Totally earn this. Like that's all true, one hundred percent. But there have been a lot of times where <clears throat> I've just been like, yeah, look, I'm here. Come by, and uh, let's just talk. And but only doing it because I like I I feel like I'll, this is what I'm called to do as a priest, and I want to love this person right here. And instead of disengaging from this invitation to love, like what are 15, 30 minute conversations that that cost me something turned out to be like the most powerful moments where I've I felt more love than I would have ever that I could have generated for myself Mm. and you're like oh my gosh how often do I miss this moment because I'm like whoop I gotta get gotta get going this is a little bit too much for me and then yeah and so it seems like the more and more I allow choose to engage with reality the more and more god reveals how he's always there and uh there it's just very true that i i choose not to do that a lot of times and i'm like oh god priesthood is so hard he's like hey what if you like really engaged hmm. in this priesthood that i'm putting in front of you um not that it'd be easier but this is where i am um and so ch- trying to live there more and more and i don't mean that self-condemnatory it's just i got room to grow um but I think that's the case for, for both vocations. Um, you, you know, it's, I mean, sorry for hogging it, but I'll, I'll just like share this kind of the story. I think I preached on it one time at uh, Cywick's class in homiletics. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> but my little broski, yeah. <laughs> he uh, was running around in our backyard and uh, stepped on a barbed wire fence that was like hidden underground and it ripped up his feet. And it was like, horribly painful for him 
uh, I didn't know this at the time, but the tips of your fingers and the tips of your feet, that's it. they're super sensitive that all of your nerve endings end that your, your, your hands and your feet, which is why there's a ticklish and why you can feel stuff with your, your fingertips as delicately as you can. Well, he got his feet ripped open like toes and the balls of his feet because yeah. he, he ran over this fence and I was at this party and I'm like hanging out with all my friends and my mom calls me. My dad was out of town. She's like, Hey, we're in the ER and, um, I, I need you to come and to be here in the ER with me. Mark's in here and he's going to have to get stitches. And one, I was like, mom, <laughs> mom, I'm hanging out with my friends. And she's like, Mike, <laughs> I am going to murder you. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> you have a choice, but really <laughs> you do not have a choice. So I, I get to the ER and mom and I had to hold him down, had to hold his feet down. And th so that they could numb his feet. So they gave him these shots. So they had to ram these needles into the bottom of his feet so that they could numb him. And then they had to stitch him up um, and they had to stitch him up pretty quickly. So like the, the numbing agency wasn't quite in yet. And Ugh. it was brutal, dude. It was horrible. I hated it. It was like quasi-traumatic to be pinning your little brother down while he's screaming so that they can stitch his feet up so that he like doesn't keep bleeding out of his feet. But I remember when we finished, the amount of love that I that had increased in me towards my little brother and towards my mom was something that it has just stayed with me like 100% since then that reality had crushed us, had literally sliced us open. And like I could have chosen maybe, depending on how forcefully mom felt about it, I could have chosen not to be there. But like as a family, reality necessitated that if you choose to do this and you choose to be a part of this and like suffer together, you're going to grow in so much love and like such closeness, such growing a depth of relationship that from the outside, like nobody's going to get, I tell that story and it's like, sounds miserable. Hmm. And I think back on it. Yeah. It's like, it hurts, but like I have serious love for that moment because I got to see my mom and my little brother in this new way that was more than I had seen them before. And I think reality offers us the opportunity to do that. I love that story. Yeah, that's good, man. That's really well, good. Mama's tough, man. Oh, Mama Mets. We had to hog tie him down. <laughs> Quit that sounds traumatic, boy. man. It was horrible, dude. It was horrible. I was a senior in high school. I popped in there. I'm like, what? What is going on? <laughs> Ouch. Guys. Hated it. Well, good talk, guys. Another one for the books. Let's call it. Let's Thanks, call Megan. It. You're the best. You can quote me, too. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode 
are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.